The Disability Report with Karen Key. Good evening to you and welcome to this month's edition of The Disability Report. On the show this evening, I'll be chatting as usual with Ari Searless, National Director of the Quad Para Association of South Africa, who own Rolling Inspiration magazine, and he'll be giving us some feedback from the Presidential Working Group on Disability and also from the SASCA conference, and he'll also be reminding us about this year's Wings for Life event. Zelda Mycroft, Chief Executive Officer of the Cayley Sports and Recreation Club, will be on the line, and she'll be telling us about some sporting history in the making at this year's Comrades Marathon. Wendy Neft, Director of Epilepsy South Africa, and Michael Bagram, Labour Lawyer, will be in studio, and we'll be talking about Epilepsy Disability Employment Support Services, or EDES. And then Adrian Davids will be in studio, and he's the first blind student to obtain ICDL certification, which is internationally recognised as the global standard in end-user computer skills. And this is just one, let me tell you, in a long line of his incredible achievements. And then just a reminder, if you need any information about something you hear tonight on the show, you can email me directly on disability at safm.co.za. Well, that's the lineup for this evening. I do hope you'll stay with me and enjoy the show here on SAFM. The Disability Report with Karen Key. Well, as usual, we start the show chatting with Ari Searless. He's the National Director of the Quad Para Association of South Africa. And this month, he'll be giving us some feedback from the Presidential Working Group on Disability and also from the SASCA Conference, and then also reminding us about this year's Wings for Life event. Ari, good evening. Welcome back to the show. Karen, it seems like this month has flown. Well, first of all, congratulations. Last month, we didn't speak with you because you were at your own graduation. Wow. Okay. Thank you very much. I, I was very proud. I graduated cum laude from Gibbs and uh, that evening, and uh, I got a surprise announcement that I was the top student at Gibbs. So well, congratulations. I was very surprised and happy. Thank you. Well done. Right. So let's talk about the Presidential Working Group on Disability. Okay. Well, where do I start? Thank you very much um, for allowing me the opportunity to to talk about this. This was a meeting of these 44 selected individuals, people with disabilities, to meet with the president um, uh, that was sort of in compensation of the president moving disability from its own ministry to social development. And we have this once a year opportunity to meet with the president to make him aware of burning issues. Well, it was quite clear, um, this meeting took place on the 10th of April, that the real burning issue um, that, that took most of the time, and we were in the lockdown in a meeting room for five or six hours with the president, is the fact that disability is housed in the Department of Social Development and no one in the disability sector, it's absolutely unanimous, thinks that it's the right place to be. It's a powerless ministry that deals with welfare. It doesn't deal with human rights, and it doesn't deal with... with uh, it's not cross-cutting in the Department of Social Development. Disability must be housed in the ministry, in the presidency. And we, we all agree unanimously on that. Well, we feel that the president didn't make much of a commitment to actually acknowledging this. And after he had hours of presentation trying to persuade him that he really needs to move disability to where it belongs, he still called for the disability sector through the presidential working group representatives to submit this proposal of where we want to be and reasons why to him in writing for consideration. So a long afternoon, the president was, it was quite clear that he really should understand where we need to be. But um, so we're not sure where we're going now. He promises a meeting very soon. 
with the working group again to address this issue. And we just feel that, that we, we shouldn't be moving on any other disability issue until that is resolved, because we're absolutely powerless, not well representative, represented in, social, in the Department of Social Development, although that department's got huge responsibilities anyway for all groups of people in this country. So it was interesting. Of course, the president is very charming. Is he effective? I can't answer that yet, Karen, until we know the outcome of our most critical and burning demand, and that is we need to be in the presidency. That's where our representation should lie. So we'll, I'm sure we'll have some feedback from you on, in, in the future on that. You'll definitely get feedback from me, and you know, because it is a, really there's an expectation from all people with disabilities, and especially through disability organisations, to resolve this now. I mean, this has been going on since 2014. Well, hopefully we'll get a resolution soon, Ari. Okay, you'll be well informed, Corin. I hope so. <laughs> Tell me about the Saska conference. Yes, okay, so just for those people interested in spinal cord injury, you know, as a subject, a very, very interesting conference that uh, took place at Spear and um, some overseas um, uh, health professionals and uh, 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 Dr. Um, uh, Dr. Andrea can't pronounce his surname, a Russian surname, uh, who practices in Canada, and he's an expert in autonomic dysreflexia, in sexual function, and, of course, in bladder and bowel management gave some superb presentations. And Quaz is going to be bringing him out again in July because we were so impressed with his knowledge. To share that knowledge with medical aid reimbursers about the importance of funding health care properly so that you don't pay for it in, 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 a, in a much bigger cost later. So the SASCA conference, well done to SASCA, the, the Southern African Spinal Cord Association, for putting on such an informative conference and I mean, we, we as delegates were mesmerized by the quality of the presentation. So they have a biannual conference. The next conference will be only in two years' time. But I'm sure that if anybody wants information about some of the particular presentations, they're welcome to contact Quasa and we'll share these with you. Great. And as Wings for Life, that's coming up quite soon. Yes, well, that's this, this weekend. I know you've, had, um, some, you've given it some great coverage, and thank you for that. This is the event that happens in 38 countries all over the world, all at simultaneously at the same time, where people on Saturday at uh, Supersport Centurion will be running as many kilometers as they can until the Red Bull car overtakes them, an event organized by Red Bull in order to raise money for um, research for cure of spinal cord injury. And I'm definitely going to be there, and I know a number of wheelchair users are going to be there, um, and, of course, spectators are welcome. Come along and show your support to raise money for research for spinal cord injury cure. So that's this Sunday. Right, and it's going to be a great success like it has been in the past, I'm sure. Okay, and um, anybody also can welcome to contact Quasa um, if they want details of you know where to be at what time, and I'm sure they'll take entries as well. I'll give out all that uh, contact information in a moment. But Ari, thank you once again for joining us on the show. And once again, congratulations on your degree and for being top of the class. Well done. Well, really appreciate that. Thank you. And we'll chat with you again next month. Thank you.
Thanks, Ari. Good night to you. Bye-bye. Ari Searles is the National Director of the Quad Para Association of South Africa. They also own Rolling Inspiration magazine. Now, if you wanted to get hold of a copy of Rolling Inspiration, they're available at pick-and-pay pharmacies and also by subscription. And you can find them on the web on www.rollinginspiration.co.za. And if you need any information from the Quad Para Association about anything or otherwise anything about the SASCA conference or about the Wings for Life event that's coming up, the phone number is 0860-ROLLING. Or you can take a look at their website. It's www.quasa.co.za. And Quasa is Q-A-S-A. So Quasa.co.za. The Disability Report with Karen Key. Well, sporting history is set to be made at this year's Comrades Marathon when Kayleigh Mycroft and Anita Engelbrecht will be the first wheelchair athletes ever to participate in this event. Zelda Mycroft is the Chief Executive Officer of the Kayleigh Sports and Recreation Club. Zelda, good evening. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Karen. Thank you so much for having us on again. This is exciting news. It, took, it wasn't <laughs> as simple as I made it sound now. I mean, this was a bit of an uphill battle. Uh, well, it's been um, it's been quite a history with um, wheelchair athletes trying to um, be involved in ultra marathons. Um, generally, the marathon distance has been okayed by um, the athletics fraternity, but anything over the standard marathon has been um, an uphill battle. So um, previously, um, the Two Oceans Marathon has been difficult to get wheelchair users to participate in the 56-kilometer ultramarathon. And then in um, February this year, we started a, um, a conversation with the Comrades Marathon Association around Anita and Kaylee um, participating in this year's Comrades. Um, they had both qualified. Um, Anita and her, her running partner, Hilton, had um, done quite a number of standard marathons in qualifying time. And then Kaylee and James Chevalier, her running buddy, um, competed and completed the Red Hill Marathon in January under in four hours 25. So that, that was the start of it, um, start of the dialogue in February. What was the problem? I mean, why was there this possibility that they weren't happy about this? Um, well, the Comrades Marathon Association rules actually have a stipulation um, that says no wheelchairs or any mechanical devices will be allowed um, to participate. And um, we, we put through a letter. We motivated how exceptional car, um, Anita and Kaylee both were, um, that they'd both done endurance um, cycles. You know, they'd both... Kaylee's just completed her fourth Cape Town cycle tour and Anita's done three. And they both qualified with their running buddies. And um, the Comrades Marathon said, no, it hasn't been done before, and therefore this rule is a stipulation that they're going to uphold. Well, let, let, me, let me put it this way. Nobody <laughs> climbed Kilimanjaro before, well, like Kaylee did before she did. So, I mean, <laughs> don't come with this, well, no one's ever done it before. Then, yeah, you know? look, I think, I think there's a time and a place for any, yeah, everything. You know. And people have been knocking on the door, making the request. And um, this time, I'm afraid we weren't just making a request and accepting the no that came with it. And after the initial no, we, we actually um, got some legal advice and we 
put a legal letter through to the Comrades Marathon. Um, we also sought um, senior counsel with advocates that, that donated their time. And um, after two months, uh, it was actually handed over to Athletic South Africa to make a decision because we also quoted ASA's um, constitution, which says that no people with disabilities may be discriminated against. So um, after really pushing for an answer and pushing ASA as well, uh, two weeks ago, we, um, Anita and Kaylee got the nod. And um, I, I have to commend ASA for um, coming through and upholding its own constitution as well as the constitution of our country. And I really believe that more than, uh, more than Kaylee and Anita being the first wheelchair athletes to participate in the Comrades, in the 95-year history of the Comrades, um, this year it's the 91st Comrades um, race. Um, more than that being historical, I, I think is this being a watershed moment where it's setting a precedent for the participation of wheelchair athletes going forward in, in ultramarathon road racing. So I'm, I'm super excited about this as that defining moment. Well, hats off to everybody involved. I mean, this is, as you said, it's a watershed moment. And I think it's very important from a, a human rights perspective that people need to... We have a fantastic constitution, and we do not stand by the rights that it affords us, often enough. And um, sometimes, you know, you know, people are just naturally... Um, people find change difficult, whatever that change may be. And sometimes it is necessary just to stand on your right and to be resolute and say, we understand you haven't done this before, but we're not going away. We have this right. We will not move. Time for you to move. Now, as well as the one thing, people might not understand how this actually works. I mean, Kaylee and Anita are not going to be wheeling themselves on the comrades. And, how, and also about the training, what do they actually do to train for the comrades? Well, um, I'll speak about Kaylee, first of all. Uh, I think that look, Kaylee goes to the gym. She goes to biokinetics. Both of them are in motorized wheelchairs. And um, a lot of their training and their resilience uh, and their stamina comes from just living at a normal-paced life. Um, in fact, at, a, at, at quite a hectic life because Kaylee's busy doing her honours um, at UCT in um, 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 social policy and management, and Anita is a third-year student at Stellenbosch University doing her BCom degree. So both of them are on campus, out in their wheelchairs, working against their bodies, natural inclination, not to sit upright and lead this hectic day-to-day -day life. Secondly, um, they run. You know, when they're in their, their um, running joggers and their running buddies are pushing them, they are fighting gravity. They are bobbing and, and swaying, so they have to practice um, core control of their own bodies, which is quite difficult when... Um, when there are balance issues. Kaylee, for example, for the first time in her life, being in the Kilimanjaro wheelchair and now in this running buggy, for the first time in her life, her thigh muscles are actually working. Wow. 
because in a wheelchair, her legs just hang. In a running buggy, she has to constantly brace against the movement um, in order to control her own, her own um, balance. So she, people think it's crazy because she can't walk, but at the end of any kind of a race, her thigh muscles ache. So it's, um, uh, I think that's the difficult thing for people to get their minds around, um, where they think that these are just two, two young ladies having a, a, a run in the park kind of thing. That's what I was trying, hoping you'd yeah. explain, because I think people are sitting there thinking, well, what are they doing? Well, you know, so thank um, you there for was explaining a that, that yes. was, was done online as well. And there were 350 people who signed the online petition, and there was only one negative comment that came through from somebody who signed themselves dedicated runner. And would not. And it was interesting to me that they would not put their name. Mm. Everybody else who made positive comments put their names down. And this was a very long letter in which exactly this issue was raised, where um, it was this person was quite adamant that you know these are not people who deserve to be in the comrades because real runners um, go out early in the morning. They sleep deprived. They develop blisters. They um, you know, they suffer for the love of their sport. And what are these two young women doing? They're just getting a petition going and waiting for race day to start. Very narrow-minded view. Well, you know, unless you... Uninformed, maybe. And unless you have a direct... Um, Connection, uh, you, you actually have a direct engagement with people like Anita and Kaylee, you, you don't know how hard it is. You don't know how inspiring it is that people who are wheelchair users, who drive themselves around by hands in a motorized wheelchair, how tough it is for them to, uh, they're not just sitting like pieces of meat, they are actually working um, in those chairs and it's exhausting for them and um, a whole range, they are very healthy, but they are a whole range of physical limitations that they're working against by being wheelchair athletes. Well, I can only take my hat off to both of them and wish them all the success in the world Thank in the so comrades. Much, I think it's it's a wonderful thing that they're doing for everybody else. I think they've taken that first step for so many other people that will look to them and say, well, if they can do it, then I can do this. You know, you know it, they're it, an inspiration. It's um, opening people's minds. And I think the fact that they are, uh, they are not propelling themselves in a sense, is in this case, in this instance, I think it was was quite a positive first step because part of our argument was that both of them have exceptional running partners. Um, the ones Kaylee's got two running partners. Both of them have done multiple Ironman competitions, and Anita's partner has completed eleven. Um, comrades, sure. <laughs> and um, our, our startup thing was: these are exceptional athletes who are their partners, but um, also these wheelchairs. I think they worried about runaway wheelchairs on a downhill kind oh, of thing, okay. and these the fact that they their wheelchairs are athlete driven, and they can only go at the speed of the runners themselves, was a very good starting point. Um, what I'd love to see going forward is 
the opening up of a whole new category for wheelchair for wheelchair athletes. Wouldn't it be amazing to have someone the likes of Ernst van Dijk going yes. into ultramarathons races and having having a whole host of, of um, wheelchair athletes opening their own category and going off ahead of the usual thing. And, you know, that, that to me is not a pipe dream. That is a reality that's possibly starting on the 29th of May. Well, when Kaylee's involved, nothing is impossible. <laughs> as you well know, as her mother, nothing is impossible. <laughs> so we all know that. We'll look out for the next big thing that Kaylee's going to do. There's always something she's doing. Makes us all feel, gosh, why couldn't I do that? Oh, it's you called know, life. She, you know, she's you amazing. have to grapple with it and claim it. She's amazing. And she's very good at doing that. <laughs> and I have to tell you, Anita Engelbrecht is a kindred spirit. I'm, um, I always laugh by saying that Kaylee's the English version, Anita's the Afrikaans <laughs> version. They are like two peas in a pod. Zelda, I'm sure it's, it's going to be a wonderful day. And thank you. all the best for that. And uh, thank you so much for opening up the sport. Thank because you I so think much. that's what and you guys you have so done. Thank you so much for your um, ongoing support of the work that we do through the Kaylee campaign. You do amazing well. work, but thank you so much. Thank you for the for the chat, and I wish Kaylee and Anita all the best. I will give them your love. Thanks so thank much. Thank you, Zelda. Thanks. You Good go night. Well. Bye bye. Zelda Mycroft is the chief executive officer of the Kaylee Sports and Recreation Club, and for more information, you can take a look at www.kayleesports.co.za. Wendy Lohabe, Felicia Mabusa Subtle, Kathy Kathwada, Sheikhs Mashaba, Terry Petto, Chad McClough. Find out who's next in the spotlight. Weekdays at 3 on Afternoon Talk. The Disability Report with Karen Key. Well, employment of people with disabilities given by the Employment Equity Act that prescribes that employers must employ people with disabilities. As the statistics indicate, employers have not come near to the targets set out since 1998 when the Employment Equity Act was promulgated. EDES is the revolutionary disability employment model that has been developed to proactively drive the disability employment agenda in South Africa by Epilepsy South Africa Western Cape. Wendy Neft is the director of Epilepsy South Africa and Michael Bagram is a labour lawyer and they're both in studio with me this evening and if you heard all that noise that was Michael making lots and lots of noise settling himself in. Sorry Good about evening. That. <laughs> Michael should be well known what's going on in the studio. You all know Michael from the Law Report. Michael, good evening, welcome and Wendy, good evening and welcome. Thanks. Hi, good evening. Good evening everybody. Right, so yeah. let's talk about EDES. We, well, before we get to that, I mentioned the fact that we still aren't quite there when it comes to employing people with disabilities. How far off are we, and, and what is actually being done about this, other than what you guys are doing? Um, I can start by saying that the EDES model um, is an outcome of grave concern about unemployment um, for people with disabilities in our society. And after looking at various models, the only way that you can impact on a person's life and self-esteem is through employment. So that is the beginning of the EDES program. And we've started to address the problem, and we've tested various models, and we're way off. And statistics, as you indicated, will show that we're way to the, apart from the target of 7%, 7.8%, which I think it is now, of employment with people with disabilities in our country. And this is a um, program that we designed was in response to the national imperative of employment for all. So what exactly are you doing? How is it working? EDES is a model of collaboration, and that is one of the, 
I think, the key factors within the nonprofit sector. Epilepsy South Africa is a disability organization. And we work in collaboration with various, um, various stakeholders um, in order to provide this comprehensive and integrated approach. What we are doing is to enable people who have been disadvantaged through um, non-access to school, number one, not mainstream, not inclusion, and we're trying to upskill people so that they can become employable, and not just employable, but also for gainful employment um, for themselves. The EDES model, um, we look at the prepare. Um, how do we go about preparing the person and the corporate around employment? We know that, um, as Michael would be talking about, we know what the urgency is in terms of the BE scorecards, but it's not about the BE scorecards. It's about actually impacting on a person's life and, um, and gainful employment. So we go about preparing the environment um, and preparing the person, and we try and do the matching in terms of what does the corporate actually require in terms of skill sets, and what skills does the person have? And then we try and match that through collaboration with funders and with corporates and, and also through the learnership programs is to have people upskilled so that they could be also suitably employed and not just gainfully employed. They One of the problems matched. on the show that I come again, mm. up against all the time is mm. the fact that you might have all these people that are mm. ready for employment, but a lot of the time, Michael, I'm sure you know mm. this, the employers themselves mm. are but skittish about yeah. well you know maybe I Absolutely. don't have the right facilities and yes. I've got stairs and maybe the, there's always some excuse mm. about something. Mm. There is, um, and Karen, I just want to refer you to two issues that have been at the highlight of the news recently. The mm. first thing is, if you opened your newspapers today, you would have seen that the Minister of Labour has just announced that a hundred and fifty thousand school-going children have not got access to schools. 150,000 mm. disabled mm. school-going children. So that's a real problem. That's so that's where we're yeah. starting that's, there. That's the right? starting point. Yeah. The second point is, and we might have just seen it as well and heard it on SAFM, is that the minister has just announced that the business community have not matched their target mm. of 3% of employment of disabled people. Mm. So what we're talking about here, and that's why I'm so excited to have Wendy here on the program with us, is because we've got both a carrot and a stick. The carrot being that the business community are desperate to find people to fulfill their targets. That's the first, that's the carrot. The stick is if they don't do it, they're going to get major fines and they're becoming criminal and the minister has now threatened the business community with six months. They've got six months to get their house in order. Now, most of the business community will tell us that people aren't qualified. Mm -hmm. How can they take them in? Wendy will tell you that I'm busy qualifying them. Mm -hmm. And in fact, EDES program is doing just that. They are making people business friendly. Are you, the, you from Epilepsy South Africa, that's the people correct. are thinking you're only training people with epilepsy. Mm, that's, and that's where you started. We started in that way and based on the needs of society as such. People with different disabilities um, also require the same service. So you've moved so on from just people with just epilepsy. People with ep we've always tried to include all, but now this program is particularly for people with all disabilities. So it's not just, even though it's, it's being run by epilepsy, West run by epilepsy or South Africa, exactly. it's, it's not just people with epilepsy. And that's uh, why the EDS name yes. is to focus more on the disability employment support model. 
Right. Okay. So, uh, how does this actually work now? Where do you find the people? Do they come to you? How do you actually access okay. the people who are interested in getting involved in this? Yes. As a development organisation, people come to us, and one of the major problems is obviously unemployment. Um, so, epilepsy historically um, had programs to address um, skills development. We had protective workshops. We had income generation groups. So, we had a strong thrust in terms of employment or upskilling people. But we needed to take the model further. And we needed to really wake up and see what is happening out in the corporate sector. And if I may just go back to your question is why are the employees not employing people? It's about fear. It's seriously about fear. It's about stigmas. It's about not just um, emotional fear, physical, it's also financial fear. How is it going to impact on the economy, when I employ somebody with a disability, you cannot do the job. So we try to break those barriers. And this is where we come in and we try and assess it. And through providing guidance, just around basic stuff, it's like, don't be fearful. Let us inform you as to what disability is. And that is what epilepsy steps into. We're going to do assessments of people's attitudes about their knowledge. Then we bring in disability training. And this is where we look at disability sensitization first. And once you've broken through that barrier, people are more open to it. And they start realizing that we're dealing with a person and not a disability. This is a person that requires reasonable accommodation. Now, reasonable accommodation itself is a word that people don't want to talk about because they see it as a cost factor. We are saying no. It's reasonable accommodation to ensure that that person with a particular skill set can do their job. And together we try and guide employees through that process to demystify the fears. And I think there is a stick and there's a carrot but we would like to put the person in between that because it's a person at the end of the day. And that is why from a development organization, the EDES model is working for us because we look at it from a psychosocial point of view. We look at support systems. We look at reasonable accommodation. We work with um, other disability organizations. Um, so it's not about competition, which is quite, as we can see, adverts. People are applying for people with positions, but it must be grade 12. And the majority of people with disabilities have generally low skill sets because they were excluded from schools. Not their problem. So we've got to confront that. So what sort and of training do you, do you actually give to people? Prior to um, getting to the grade 12, which is what the corpus sees is ideal, there are different work readiness programs that we can apply for funding through. Um, putting people into capacity building, life skills. Remember, people are marginalized and people are fearful. People are fearful of the basic thing, and that is access to transport. That is why people do not come out. So you've got to address those real issues. How do we get people to move independently? So this is all part of the life skills, part of confidence building. So it's a journey. It's not a quick fix. This model is not a quick fix. We've come through four years and we've just celebrated the graduation of close to 350 people at the Arts Cap. So that was a major achievement for us for four years, but going through it developmentally. So it is this comprehensive, and once the employer hears this, that I actually don't need to deal with the social problems of the person. You know, there's support for them to manage it. The HR departments, also where we try and talk through, look at the policies, okay? Look at simple things such as, oh, but the person's going to the doctor, so it's sick leave. And that is why people don't want to employ you because they see it as sick leave. But it's not sick leave. 
It's reasonable accommodation. So we talk them through and guide people as to how amend the policy and to actually show people take responsibility like all of us. We have doctor's appointments. That is leave. That's vacation leave. So it's talking through issues which goes back to the fear of, being of employing somebody with a disability. And once you've broken through that barrier, then you can move in. So that is the employee process. So it's a whole preparation process, skills development, environment, ergonomics, attitudes. Then you move to the employee. And with the employee for Epilepsy South Africa goes support. We do not train people for the sake of training and employing people. Corporates have to walk the journey of support. And in that way, our experience over the past couple of years has shown that retention rate is much higher because we're there to support the individual and also the corporate. And also in terms of labor law practices, we were fortunate for, to have Michael on our board. And um, it's again, it's not about uh, um, fueling the fear, but it's taking the employer out of the situation and say, this is the reality, how best can we accommodate both yourself and the person with a disability, particularly epilepsy, that started as a big thing, particularly because it's invisible. And um, a lot of employees cannot deal with it. But taking them through, what is epilepsy? What is a physical disability? What is a mental disability? The fear disappears. Michael, do you see employers sort of becoming a little more open to this whole they, idea? They do, because the more and more I speak to employers, and I deal with small companies all day, um, and I know Wendy's been talking to a few of the bigger ones, they understand that from dis the disabled community, and they're starting to find this out, you employ a few people from the disabled community, you get loyalty, mm. you get productivity, mm. um, you, you get everything that you need, and sometimes far better than a normal employee. When I talk about a normal employee, someone mm. who might take bunk sick leave every <laughs> second day and that sort of, you don't get this from the disabled community. Mm. What you get from the disabled community is enormous loyalty. And up till this day, we know that the business community haven't been able to go beyond 1.5% of their workforce, when in fact they should be hitting 3% at mm -hmm. least. Um, the Stats SA, and Wendy was just talking about it, the Stats SA tell us that over 7.5% of our workforce should be disabled. So that's because those are the figures that, that we're talking about in the society. So mm -hmm. it should be reflected in your actual workforce, and we know we're there. Mm -hmm. And I think as the employers overcome that reticence where they're saying, well, we're not going to take someone in that's disabled. What happens if, God forbid, mm -hmm. the so-and-so and so-and-so? That's all nonsense. And once you take one person in, and, and we, we're now begging employers mm -hmm. to say, just open your eyes. Mm -hmm. Have a look at the disabled community. They are your future. Mm -hmm. They are going to help out and they're going to basically be the most loyal employees that you've got. And I'm starting to experience that. I'm experiencing that a lot. And when we have a program, because the next step then is to say, all right, we'll take someone in that's mm -hmm. disabled. Can they actually do the job? Mm -hmm. And we're saying, but everyone's got that problem. No one can do a job until they've they've actually in the until job. Until they got there. Yeah. So now what we've got is we've got this EDES program, which is at least taking people into the employability. They are now in a situation where those graduates, and I attended that graduation ceremony. I mean, I, I wanted to cry. It was just so exciting. 
this is the first time I've ever experienced that, where people are actually graduating. They are saying, we are no longer going to be seeing ourselves as the unemployed. We're going to see ourselves as the future employed. But even from the program itself, Wendy tells me that people have moved straight into jobs uh, from that program, which, which is amazing. So all, all we're saying is give the disabled community a chance. Yes, there are those sticks. Yes, the minister has come down really hard on the employers. The minister said either you're going to meet those targets or I'm going to punish you. But we're not saying that. We're saying give us a chance. Let us get a foot in the door, and once we're in the door, you will be amazed as to what development you will see from employing the disabled. Now, I, I have clients that have targeted various communities. I mean, I know that one client has targeted the deaf community, and they've got amazing, amazing results from that, from employing people from the deaf community. Mm. If that can be... Now, they, now their hearts are open to that community. The next step they can say, well, let's take people from the blind community or people in wheelchairs. Let's start taking people in. And we're doing ourselves in South Africa a disservice by saying, no, let's leave them outside. Um, the communities will have to fend for them, but we as employers shouldn't. I think that's wrong. It's a wrong mindset. It, it's a mindset that must go back pre-95, we are now in the new South Africa. I know that there's a supermarket chain as well as a hotel here in Cape Town mm -hmm. that employs quite a substantial number of deaf people. And um, it's, it's working extremely it well. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. so the possibilities are there in all sectors of, of the employment, you know, mm -hmm. industry where you mm -hmm. can actually put people in. It doesn't have to be, because I think in the, in, in the old days, we'll mm -hmm. always, well, you know, it was things like being a telephonist or being a, there was all this, it was very great. much put into these little cubby holes. Absolutely. Anything is possible. Absolutely. And I think a very exciting initiative which is happening, smaller companies are coming, looking at their skill spends, um, and a lot of it is applying that into training specific to their sector. So they would fund the program. We would find learnerships or skills program to meet the needs of the company and together. And I find that was quite a breakthrough where they coming forward and say, I have these vacancies. And I would like to employ people with disabilities, but I would like to fund a skills program. And this is happening more and more, and excitingly so, in the rural area also. So it's really far-reaching. And it's also gotten to a point where national training providers identify needs. Um, and I know this is a national organization, um, sorry, radio station. Um, but as Epilepsy South Africa, we've got branches in different provinces. But we try and drive it through the Western Cape um, because of the success of this process, but we work together. So training providers are coming and say, look, I need to train up a thousand people within two years. So, so that is coming forward. If people want to get, I was going to give out the mm. general sort of Epilepsy South Africa sure. number. If people want to get hold of you or mm. find out more about the program, sure. who do they contact then? In Western um, Cape or well, what Western do they do? Western Cape, they may okay. contact me. you want to just give out the number? Certainly. The, um, we're based in Wetton in Cape Town and it's 21 703 9420, or my email is wcape, as in Western Cape, at epilepsy.org.za. We also have a Facebook page and we have web 
um, both national website. They can access the Epilepsy SA Western Cape website also. And that's from anywhere in the country. From it doesn't matter the where. Country. They don't have to be based in Cape Town to contact you down here. Absolutely. Just that this is where the program is sort of spreads that's, out spread from, here. from here. Okay, so there's a lot to mm-hmm. do, a lot going on. And gosh, it's rather exciting, Michael. Mm. Yeah, well, what we want to do is mm. we want all the human resource officers around the country to take note. Yeah. There are hundreds of them. And they're always on the lookout mm. for people to fulfill their employment equity targets. We can do it for them. They can sit back. They can make the phone call to Wendy, email Wendy at Epilepsy South Africa at the email address she's just given, and we will help them out. They mm. will tell us what their requirements are, what their needs are, where they are, and how many people they need, mm. and we will try and source them for them. And we this don't is anywhere charge in the country. Anywhere mm. in the country. I mean, if someone's in Porf Ida, please mm. tell us. And no <laughs> recruitment agency fees. No, no. no. And no all no. we want, all we really want mm. is that person to get a job and for the employer to be happy mm. and to say to us in a few months' time, look how productive this person is. Mm. Which I'm sure and that's, is and that will get. get. Mm. Well, I wish we had so much more time to yeah. chat with you, but unfortunately our time is up for this evening. Mm. Thank you both very much indeed for joining mm. me on the show. Thank, Thank you, you. Karen, for this Thank conversation. You very much. Wendy Neft is the Director of Epilepsy South Africa and Michael Bagram is a labour lawyer. For more information, you can contact Epilepsy South Africa, the Cape Town branches, which is where it's all started. And the number here is 021-703-9420 or email them on wcape at epilepsy.org.za. And don't forget, if you've missed any of these contact details, just drop me a mail to disability at safm.co.za and I'll send all of that to you. From the woman who knows all the president's secrets to unlocking the deeper secrets of your mind. From combining the best ingredients to combining the finest South African musicians and genres. From a hilarious detective out to prove himself to the new main man, to the manliest man show. Find comedy, drama, and everything in between with The Fixer. One day with Brian Miles. Save with Jamie. Jam Sandwich. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And Man Cave. Find it on SABC3. The Disability Report with Karen Key. Joining me in studio now is Adrian Davids, and he's had a very interesting career path. Let me just start off by telling you, from DJing to studying sound engineering, he's had a stint at broadcasting at Bush Radio 89.5 FM, he's been studying songwriting, and then he became the first blind person in Africa to obtain his international computer driving license, and that's a well-known certification in computing. And then in 2012, he founded Detour Music, focusing on lyric writing, music production, and sound design. And in the middle of all of this, he volunteers at the Cape Town Society for the Blind, teaching other young people how to do, go about doing the ICDL. Adrian, good evening. I'm surprised you've got time to come and chat with me with all of this going on. Welcome <laughs> I was just to the that, show. <laughs> I was just thinking there, Karen, you're making me sound very, very important there. Well, I was reading all this. I think I got exhausted because I got to the end of it. I thought, good grief. So let's, let's start yeah. off, first of all, with this uh, International Computer Driving License, the ICDL. I mean, this is quite something to have gone off and got that. True. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Oh, it's a pleasure. I uh, do appreciate it. Yeah, um, after my radio stint at Bush Radio 89.5 FM, I uh, was at home. I haven't had anything to do, and I was thinking to myself, well, I need to do some studying as well because um, I've been training. I've been training myself on computers, and I thought to myself, well, I need to get myself the paperwork behind my name, and that is when I went to the Cape Town Society for the Blind. That was in 2009, 
And like I said, I had time in my hands, and um, I do did their starter certificate, which comprises which comprises out of four modules. And um, then spoke to the trainer at the time and said, "Listen, there are other two modules, three modules. I have time in my hands. Why don't I just do them?" And I finished all those seven modules within ten weeks. And back then, I became the first blind person in Africa on the continent to get my full ICDL certification. And then obviously after that, um, a year after that, or after that, when I finished my studies there, I, I volunteered for about a year. And then obviously helping other students get their ICDL as well. But now you haven't finished with that study. Now you, are you doing it honours now? I think you're doing, you're going further with this. Um, yeah, I'm hoping to do my advanced courses within the ICDL training. Um, formal modules I have to complete. But depends, like you say, it depends on whether I have time to well, do this. Well, I was going to ask you, when are you going to do this? <laughs> Because I'm currently training the ICDL where I'm employed at um, Cape Town Society for the Blind. And uh, within eight days, we'll be marking my full year there as a trainer, the ICDL trainer. Um, so that's taking quite a bit of my time as well. So I'll see um, in between the work and so on as to whether I'll have time to do that. I'm, I'm hoping to have time. <laughs> How many students do you have at the moment at uh, Cape Town Society? Well, at any given day, I've got about uh, 10 students. Um, many of them are visually impaired. And then some of them are blind as well. Um, I recently had three students as well within the 10 um, who haven't worked on computers before. And uh, that's quite interesting to see yeah, I'm sure. how they develop from having no idea as to how to work on a computer to be able to work on spreadsheets now. That's incredible. Yeah. It's quite amazing um, because you actually see the development within these people as well, within these students as well. Um, and it actually means quite a lot to them too because many of them come from backgrounds where, from rural backgrounds, backgrounds where they haven't had computers, they don't have libraries uh, that house computers, etc. Um, so when they do come to the Cape Town Society for the Blind and they see the development within themselves, um, I think that, that, that really is, is something big to them. Now, uh, learning on, on the computers, yeah. do you do it with voice um, assistance? Well, how does it work? All right. So the computers that we use is a regular off-the-shelf computer that you would get in any shop selling computers, right? And, uh, yeah, so computers that you would use in the office as well. And then what we, we would use is a program called ZoomText, which is a text enlargement program. That would be just making the text on the, pro on the computer a little bigger for people who are visually impaired to be able to see that better. And then for the people who are blind, like myself, we use a program called JAWS, Job Access with Speech, which is a screen reader. So what that does is looks at the computer, looks at the screen, and then report back as to what is written on the screen. Um, so that is the two programs that we do use in order to assist people to be able to use computers successfully. Um, and in a Best possible time as well. Gosh, do you have a waiting list for your classes? I must be. There must be quite a lot of people keen to do this course. Yeah, many times people do come from after they're done with their schooling to come to Cape Town Society for the Blind, where they feel they want to upskill themselves, want to be computer literate, etc. And then obviously we have people who become blind later in life as well. For example, last year within the last class I had last year, I had one gentleman who was fifty-eight. Um, and he needed to upskill himself in order to go because he felt he, uh, he he could still work, but now his eyes or his eyesight that was going was holding him holding him back a little, and he felt well if I can learn how to work a computer, I would be able to at least get a um, admin job as such. Um, so we get we get people from eighteen up to fifty eight as such.
Gosh, okay. Because I was re you, I was reading something where you were quoted in an article by saying that after having done this ICDL course that you could do so much more when it came to admin work and, you know, things like spreadsheets and all that sort of thing that possibly you wouldn't have been able to do before. Yeah. Um, like I said previously, before I came to Cape Town Society for the Blind, I sort of trained myself on computers and I crashed my hard drive a good couple of times. Um, I don't do that anymore. I do nowadays. that all the time. Don't feel, don't, don't feel bad about that. I do that on a regular basis. <clears throat> yeah, and um, nowadays things go way better. Um, time Timing is not an issue anymore. For example, if our students write a test as well, because with these um, modules and with ICDL, do come tests they have to write, and they have to finish it within 45 to 60 minutes. Um, so they have to be pretty good on computers after they've done the training with us as well. So they also get, I mean, there's no sort of extension of time or anything? Uh, not really, no. Gosh, okay. Yeah, they have to finish it within 60 minutes. Okay, well, I'm yeah. not going to come to you for, for lessons because I'll have to take like three hours to do something <laughs> on the computer side. No, no. <laughs> no, I'm sure, I'm sure if you come to us, we'll, yeah. Maybe, maybe you'll train me. Maybe I should come and do a course with you and yeah, maybe get you? my computer skills upskilled a little welcome. bit because I don't know what I'm doing. I can basically switch it on yeah. and that's about as far well, as... Well, that's a start. That's a start. Oh, there you go. I know where the button is. I'm not doing too badly. But let's just move away yeah. from that. You've had such an amazing career, though, if you yeah. look, all sorts of things. Music seems to play a big part in your life. Yeah, um, I, I'm, I've always been in the business of we've got one birth here, we've got one life here, and we've got one death here on earth. And if you're going to spend your life um, working or eight hours a day working, you might as well make it count. Um, and music has been playing quite a big role in my life. And um, therefore the decision to do DJing within the last year of my schooling and then um, doing sound engineering, and then I enjoyed it so much. I was thinking to myself, well, I always wanted to know what was going on behind the scenes of radio and what these people do when they are in the studio and what it looks like, etc. And then I had the opportunity to study radio broadcasting and then obviously having the opportunity to um, broadcast myself. So ra uh, radio and um, music and media in its entirety has always been a big part of my life, yes. And tell me about Detour Music. What yeah. What is happening with that now? Detour Music at this point, I put it on the back burner, seeing that I'm so busy at uh, Cape Town Society for the Blind training because it's pretty much an eight-hour day that I'm doing there. So when I do have the spare time, I do work on that, but not as actively as I used to be before, yeah. It's something you'll pick up in the future, I'm sure.